And uh, I am glad that you're here. I, as I've looked around, I see faces I don't recognize. That doesn't mean you don't belong here. It means I just maybe haven't met you yet. And I would love to do that. And so I hope I get to do that before uh, today's over. But be opening your Bible's book is 2 Corinthians. That's usually what I say very first. Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're using the Bible provided for you there in the back of the pew, it's page 1146, 1146, 1146. Um, and uh, that's where we'll be looking uh, today. We're going to just cover the first six verses. This whole chapter really hangs together, but it's a lot to do in the time allotted. So I'm going to try to break it at least two, into two different uh, sermons. And uh, we're calling this, this whole series is the power uh, of uh, it, it, God is powerful in our weakness. But today is the power of a recommendation. Um, and uh, that'll make more sense as we get into it. So would you stand with me one more time? And I'm going to read these six verses out loud. Um, nowhere in the Bible say you have to stand, but in places they did that. Uh, one day they stood for reading of the first five books of the Bible. Can you believe they did that? That'd take a long time, but they did it. Um, but anyway, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, on page 1146, says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from, or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tables of human heart. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we step into your throne because indeed we are not sufficient for these things. And Lord, as we come into this throne room, a throne of grace, as we stand here, as we kneel here at your feet, by the power in the name of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Lord, we come and ask you, Father, to, uh, to send to us what we need. God, thank you that you gave uh, the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us to Christ because of what you did, Lord Jesus. And we pray now that uh, the Holy Spirit would open our minds and hearts to see what you say to us in your word, that you would fill us, empower us, um, teach us, help us to know we cannot understand your word apart from, from you, apart from the Trinity, but the Spirit comes to interpret for us according to what you told us. So we're just asking for what you've already promised, and we know that you will fulfill that promise. But Lord, we also pray that as we hear this and we see a place we need to obey, that we will be obedient no matter what it looks like, no matter the cost. Give us your grace uh, in this moment for indeed... As Paul says in this passage, we are not sufficient for these things, and we ask for your help. Lord, we also ask you to rebuke our enemy, the one who would confuse us, the one who would distract us, the one who would lie to us. Lord, we pray that you would bind him today so that your believers might hear clearly and that those who need to know you might hear from the Holy Spirit of their need for Christ. Lord, we thank you for all your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can sit back down. Well... 2 Corinthians becomes a more and more interesting book the more you look at it, the more you read it. I hope that uh, you're going home and rereading some of these things. 
and looking at them to, uh, on your own. And Paul comes to an interesting passage here that you may or may not understand how this happened. I, I can illustrate best out of my own life because when uh, I grew up in church, I, I was going to church, as I've said, often nine months before I was born. Uh, my, my parents made sure of that. And uh, I, I was in my 20s before I knew not going to church was even an option. We, I, I just thought that was something you had to do or, you know, somebody's going to hurt you. And in my case, they might have. But anyway, um, uh, and so I was just always there. And we had these great preachers come in, famous vets. I didn't know they were famous till later. When I was a kid, I just thought, oh, we got some guy coming and preaching again. But later I started to study preaching and preachers and things and realized, man, I got to hear some of the great preachers because our pastor, uh, he, he was relatively famous himself. And I, I didn't know that as a kid. So it was real interesting. But something I noticed, they all had... A, 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 a little card. You, you know what I'm talking about? People ask, do you have a business card? Well, those used to be called calling cards. Thank you. Exactly. And so if you like to watch, and I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait till I was a pastor. I could get a calling card. Now, this is a kid thinking, right? Then I found out you can get them printed for yourself. I didn't know that. So I did. I had them. I wasn't even a pastor. I, well, here's my card. I have to give it out. Well, if you like to watch like uh, TV shows based in like a last century or a century before England or, or even older, you, you would go up to this really nice door and you would present your calling card, right? And they would say, they'd tell the Lord of the house, oh, so-and-so is here to see you. And then they would take that card on that tray back to the guy and give it back because probably you couldn't get them printed very, you had to keep that one because you couldn't give them out like we can today. Well, now calling cards aren't even a thing anymore, right? Um, they're, they're good as little reminders to, to give someone, but, but we don't use them so much anymore. But in the New Testament day, in Paul's day, they did the same thing, only it wasn't a card. It would be a letter of recommendation. It would be a letter you would give, especially if you were coming to a place you hadn't been before. You would have someone that they knew or someone in authority write a letter saying, this guy's who he says he is and he's okay for you. It had some form on there, and you would present that letter of recommendation so the people would listen to you, would do what you ask them, uh, what you, you might be telling them to do. So this is the context of how Paul starts this letter. It's going to help it make more sense to you today. So here's a statement I want you to take home with you today. It's not always what you know, it's who you know. Remember, the letter of recommendation was from somebody that you would like to who to know, Right? And it would, it would give you an authority to speak. And I grew up hearing this phrase a lot because uh, it's still true in, in the world. Uh, you could be the best candidate for something, but if you've got an inside track, right? Don't we talk about that? Or if you know someone, then sometimes you get a better hearing. That's just the way of the world, wouldn't you say? So the same thing happens then. And notice what Paul says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do I have to do this again? Because Paul's already been in Corinth. He's the one that led them to the Lord. Uh, as I said last week, we looked that up on a map. And, and, and it just curves around up through Turkey. And you come to a place of water. And you cross over and you're in Greece. And you come down on that side. And Corinth is over here in Greece. And, and over here was where Paul was last week. He went to Troas. And then he moved up into Macedonia, which is a whole region, looking for Titus. And he's on his way to Corinth. And he's trying to write to them. And he writes to them. From Macedonia. I failed to tell you something last week. T-R-O-A-S was the place he was, Troas. And that was the modern, in their day, 
word for that city. That area was known as Troad, but I'll tell you where you can relate to this. That was Troy, where Helen came from. Helen of Troy and the war and the Trojan horse and all that. That happened in this spot across from Corinth. So now you come down this side and you're in Corinth. And Paul had been there before. He had led these people to the Lord and had established the church there. And now he's, he's going he's to have to come back because they've listened to some people that uh, uh, they shouldn't have been listening to. They're starting to doubt Paul. And so Paul takes two chapters, kind of setting the scene. And then he says, do I have to recommend myself to you again? And notice his answer. Or do we need, as some do, he's saying some people do need it, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Notice what he's doing there. He's saying, I don't need a letter of recommendation to you, and I don't need one from you. Why? Because he's saying, because God's my letter of recommendation. That's what he's implying to them. Remember, Paul was never made officially an apostle by men, as far as we know. But Paul claimed that he had that office and gift from the Lord himself. And I do believe that those men did recognize him as such, but nowhere in the Bible does it say, so they had a ceremony and made Paul another apostle. Um, in fact, we only see 13 total in the Bible. After Judas killed himself, they added Matthias, and that's the last time we see any added apostles in the Bible. There are people running around today saying they're apostles, but they don't know what the word means, and so that, that's not really true. But notice what he says after that. In verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. He's saying, you guys are my letter of recommendation. You're the guys I led to the Lord. You knew the truth. You were walking in the truth. You're a great church. And in the first chapter of the first book, he said, you don't lack any gift. They, had, they were overfilled with the spiritual gifts from God. And the next chapter, he says, but I have to speak to you as immature men. They weren't mature in Christ, but they had a lot of spiritual gifts. And that's why they went into error, because they didn't mature in the understanding and knowledge of the faith. They had gifts to do a lot, but they didn't understand a lot. And so they were led astray. And Paul has Paul written to them. They've repented of one thing. They're getting that straight. But these other guys are coming in saying, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. So here he's making a case. I shouldn't have to, even, I shouldn't have to go to these, these labors. You, you know me. You know who I am. You should be listening to me. But he does something here I think is kind of interesting. In fact, I know it's interesting. He says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Paul is talking about these letters of recommendation. He's saying, you guys are my letter. But more importantly than that, he says, you are a letter from Christ what does that mean? It means Christ is recommending you, but what else are you doing? You're recommending Christ. If I knew somebody high up the chain that I needed his recommendation to go somewhere, that would be neat, unless that guy didn't like me. I could know a very powerful person, but he's not on my team, right? So I wouldn't want that letter, would I? So if Christ gives you a letter of recommendation, what does that mean? He's proud to be on your team. He's going to give that to you. And notice what Paul says we're supposed to do with that, or at least the Corinthian people are supposed to do that, but I would say it applies to all of us, 
to be read by all men. I hope this is sinking in. Do you understand that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a letter from Christ to recommend Christ to every lost person you meet? So how do you live your life? How do you do your life so that you are recommending Christ to others? I mean, this seems all kind of like surfacy and innocent, but Paul always slips in something that should grab our attention and hits us kind of hard. He says, you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. In other words, I brought you Christ and I delivered you to him. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Now, he, what, are tab, what are the tablets of stone he references there? You, you already know. It's the Ten Commandments we find back in Exodus, right? That's the tablets of stone, God's word written down. He said, but God has now written himself on your hearts. This is a big theme in the New Testament. And, and, and there's a vast group of us modern Christians that still get this wrong. Paul's trying to help correct this here. And we'll, we'll see more about that in a minute. But we, like these Corinthians, are a letter of, from Christ for the world to see. That's really impacted me this week. As, as I've looked into this deeper and deeper, it, 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 it caused me to pause. Like, what do I do? What do I say? How do I act when 24-7, 365, 366 this year, because it's a leap year, I'm supposed to be showing Christ to other people with a letter that's written on my heart. He's changed my heart, didn't he? And in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to take out that heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and I'm going to write my word on your heart. And now, not, he didn't give me a heart transplant. He didn't pull out my physical heart, put a new one in. But spiritually, that's what he did. I had a hard heart that was at war with God. I was shaking my fist in the name of God. Every lost person's that way. I, I know. I was eight years old. I wasn't standing there going, I don't like you, God. But if I'm in the lost condition, that's how my life is being lived. It doesn't matter my age. What matters is I said, I'm going to submit myself to God's will. And when I did that, he saved me and he wrote his letter on my heart. And now I'm supposed to be living. Have I ever had a bad letter written on my heart for people to read? Of course. But once I understand this, I don't want, I'm going to tear that one up and make sure the letter from Christ is the one being seen. Right? Would you say right for yourself? Yes? Amen? Okay, good. Yeah, amen's a 20th century yes. All right. So... We ought to be living our life that way. Now Paul goes into what is, what is important about this because guess what? Without Christ, your life is not going to be recommendable to anyone. Because as a lost person, you can't, you can't do anything righteous. You say, now wait a minute. Hold on there, preacher. I think you've gone too far. I know a lot of people are lost that do really good things. I didn't say you couldn't do really good things. I said you couldn't do anything righteous. Because God told us in the Old Testament that without God, all your righteousness looks like filthy rags to him. Because he is so holy, so pure, so perfect. The best thing we can accomplish apart from God, in his eyes, looks like a stinky, dirty rag. Let's look on in verse 4. And this is, the first one was supposed to be letters of recommendation. But this is, the sufficiency is from God. Look what Paul says in verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. 
So Paul says that we're confident that Christ put his letter on us and we have that in Christ by God. God gave it to us through Christ and we have that. And then he catches himself because he doesn't want them to think he's bragging about Paul. He's bragging about God. And so in verse 5, he says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves. See, y'all thought I was gone way off on a tangent. And here Paul is agreeing with what I was saying. Well, actually, I'm agreeing with Paul because I'd already read this, right? Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. In other words, if, if you're sitting there and you're listening to the first part, and you say, well, preacher, that sounds real good, but I know I can't live that way. Well, you're right, you can't. And if you're sitting there going, that's right, I can do that, you're wrong. It's only people that realize they can't that can because if you think you can, you'll never access the grace of God, so you really can. You just are righteous in your own eyes. Right? Isn't that the balance of what the Bible teaches us about this? Yes, it is. You can say yes to that. I promise. Paul has humility beyond what we could imagine, but when we read him, it's like, man, he's strong. He's a, he's a humble man. He's like, I, I know I can't do this. In another place, he said... This is a true saying. It's worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul knew he was the worst. He never forgot that he used to kill Christians. But the gospel is such. Those Christians he killed were cheering him into heaven when he went. Because that's the nature of the gospel. I've said that a lot lately. And I hope you're starting to hear it. And so he says our confidence is through Christ toward God. And that word confidence means a trust. I looked up the word. It's used confidence. But if you have confidence in someone, you trust them. We use that word kind of interchangeably. Here's what I found interesting. There's only six places in the New Testament that this word appears. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just two chapters before this in verse 15. Because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience. That's the word confidence, same word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll come to later, verse 22. And with them we're sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever before because of his great confidence in you. And there's that word again, trust. 2 Corinthians 19.2, same book. Chapter 10, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. It's going to take a get verse to chapter 10 before he says, tell you what I'm going to do with all those, those boys that are telling you a lie. I'm going to deal with them. And in, and in chapter 10, in verse uh, 2, he says, I'm begging you, please get yourself right because I don't want to lump you in with them when I come in and it's not going to be pretty. And then in Ephesians 3, same human author Paul uses this word, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Again, this word, we, have, we trust it. We, we trust that we can have access to God. And then in Philippians, again, Paul is the writer, the human author. Chapter 3 and verse 4, Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Paul said, if you want to be confident in the flesh, I had all of that. And at the end of that passage, he said, but I threw all that in the trash can because it's not good enough. And then here, where we are today, in chapter 3 and verse 6, 
we don't have confidence in ourselves. We're not sufficient in ourselves as coming from us, but our sufficiency, our confidence is from God. We trust God to be doing something in our life. The first thing he says is we are not sufficient. I want you to understand this is one of the most important things that God wants you to understand in the New Testament. It is the only, there's only one story that appears in all four Gospels other than the crucifixion of the Lord. Even his birth, only in two of them. But the story that is in all four is the feeding of the 5,000. And, and I've said this recently, and it might have been last week, standing right here, but I'm going to say it again. Because I don't think we can overstate what he's saying there. I'll give it to you in brief. They had 5,000 men plus women and children. They didn't have anything to feed them, and they couldn't get home in time to eat, and they'd been three days without food. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, well, y'all feed them. Y'all didn't know Jesus was from the south, did you? He said, y'all feed them. And they said, we can't feed them. We don't have anything ourselves. If we, ha- we don't have any money to buy anything, and if we had money to buy anything, they're in a store nearby, 7-Eleven's closed, and we can't go buy enough food for these people. And then if we put all the stories together, you said, well, what do you got? They said, well, we found a little boy over there who had lunch, and the disciples have been fighting which one of us is going to go steal it. He said, well, go get it from him. Go ask him for it, whatever. And so where the boy willingly gave, I don't know how that worked, but the boy gave him the lunch. And it was just some fish and bread. It was enough for one boy. I don't know why he hadn't eaten it in three days. Maybe it was all he had left. Jesus said, bring it to me. He blessed it, broke it, and he fed 5,000 people. And the moral of that whole story they fed everybody there till they were full and took up 12 basket fragments to feed each of the disciples who hadn't eaten. They just served. And here's the moral to the story. Christianity is knowing you don't have sufficiency. You're inefficient. Bringing what, your inefficiency to God who turns it into sufficiency and you feed a multitude. And Paul right here says, not that we are sufficient for these things. We can't do it. But what is our sufficiency? It's our sufficiency is from God there in verse 5. And verse 6, he's made but our sufficiency for God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. So he said, it is God that makes us sufficient. If you go back and when you get home, I recommend you reading through 2 Corinthians, every time we get to a new place, go back to the beginning and read up to where we are at least. Go back and read 1 Corinthians you want a backdrop of this. Because in the first couple of chapters, he said, God doesn't choose smart people. I'm paraphrasing again. He doesn't choose strong people. He doesn't choose people who are mighty in the world. But he chooses the weak and the powerless. And he didn't say in the stupid, but it's implied. because He said he doesn't choose smart people. To be his. So if you're a... Being used by God, and I tell this to pastors all the time, just know you weren't that bright, and you weren't that good, and you weren't that smart, and you weren't that strong. That's why God picked you, so you couldn't brag. It had to be from him. And all of us, at some point in our life, are going to think, I got this. No, you don't got this. You never got this. You don't have this as specific. I can relate this to many areas of life, but I'm telling you, living the Christian life, you don't got this. We don't have the ability or the power to have sufficiency, but God does, and he gives it to us as a gift. 
Another word we use for this is grace. It's God's righteousness at Christ enabling. Because of what Christ did, he gives us grace. He gives us God power to do what God asks us to do. He doesn't give it to us to do magic tricks. He doesn't do it for us to get wealthy. He does it that we will do the will of God, that we'll bless other people, that we will be like Christ written all over our hearts. And when people see us, they see Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to get these people to see. Paul's sufficiency was only found in God. And any sufficiency we have is only from God. And that reference I made earlier is 1 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. You see, God makes us competent to be ministers of the new covenant. Isn't that what he said? But that sounds really good, but I, I, I have to ruin this for some of you. He has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. That word ministers there, if you look it up, it's the same word as we use for deacons. It's the word slave, servant. We say servant because we, we all have this collective guilt over slavery of a people in this continent. But the Bible says we are slaves of Christ. We, shouldn't, we should never have slaves of human beings. Y'all know slavery's not over, right? It still happens. America is still the biggest slave country in the world. It's only now they kidnap children and women and sell them into slavery. Thank God we got someone in our church that's fighting that. But I want you to understand that. You have to see yourself as a slave to Christ. So if you're a slave to anybody else, you don't think you're in charge, do you? In fact, you don't say no to your master. You don't say, uh, I don't think so, I don't feel like that today. You do what he tells you. Thank God, God is our slave master because he is kind and loving and generous and he gives to us. He doesn't treat us badly as some slave masters might do. He makes us competent to, to do his will. He doesn't throw, remember children of Israel in Egypt? Moses wants to get them out of Egypt. They're slaves. And so when he goes to do it, Pharaoh says, I know, instead of just making bricks, now you got to get your own straw to make bricks. Before that, they'd bring the supplies to them. Now we're not going to do that. you got to get your own. And now you got to make more of them. And they have people are getting mad at Moses. Moses, what did I do? God told me to do that. And this, that's Pharaoh doing that, not me. God told me to come deliver you. And I'm trying to do that. I'm doing what God told me. But the slave master said, oh, you think you're hot? We're going to make it harder on you and harder on you. We go to God with our need, and he supplies our need. He's not hard-hearted to us, but we are his slaves. And man, that's the best slave to ever be. Because now you're free from all human slavery. Once you're a slave to Christ, it doesn't matter what condition you find yourself in. You know you belong to Christ. And the only reason... Look at Joseph in the Old Testament, that 11th son of, of Jacob, whose brothers threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. And so he served well in slavery. He served well in prison. And God exalted him to deliver the people of Israel, Right? He didn't grumble and complain. He just said, well, God's still with me. I'm going to obey God. And that's what he did. He kept obeying God. But I want you to see something. That was a hard thing I had to say. You're a slave. But I got to say it. But notice what he says at the end of verse 6. We are ministers of the new covenant. The old covenant was written on tablets of stone. The new covenant was written by the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us life. 
Let me read the verse again. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We understand that intellectually, but in the way we live, sometimes we don't. All letter of the law rules that you ever make kill you. It is only the Spirit that can set you free. Because I'm not a Christian because of what I did. If you're a Christian because of what you did, you're not a Christian. You're lost. Because you can't become a Christian. And in Galatians, if you'll read that book that Paul also wrote, you can't be a Christian and then go back into being a slave of the letter. Because God puts the obedience in our heart and we just obey what he said. Now, God gives us right and wrong things that we know about, and we ought to call wrong, wrong, and right, right, because only sane people do that, and saved people are the only ones that are capable of being sane. But not the letter, because the letter kills. Let me give you another reference, and it's Romans chapter 2 and verse 29. And let me, let me read what Paul says in Romans 2.29. And when I say Paul, I, I should say it every time, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this, but a Jew is not inwardly and circumcision a matter of the heart. That's how you showed that you were in the old covenant. By the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. He said, you're not a Jew if it's just physical. You, you are a people of God. That's how he's using the word. If you've come to Christ and you've got a new heart, that he's, that he's opened your heart to him. You see, it's not by the letter because the letter kills. It, our salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we are ever and forever indebted to God for giving us that life. In John 10, you know the verse. I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. You see, the Bible goes contrary to our thinking as, as lost human beings. Because our thinking as lost human beings is fight, scratch, get all you can, can all you get, poison Poison the lid and sit on the rest. Sit on the lid and poison the rest, should say. That's, that's, how, that's how the world thinks. God says, give everything away and you'll have riches in heaven. Because I promise you, the day after you die, you're not going to be able to spend a dime here. You won't own anything here because you're gone. And you can leave instructions and they may laugh at your instructions and do whatever they want anyway. I always like that bumper sticker on the back of a camper. It said, we're spending our kids' inheritance. Well, you're smart. <laughs> because once we're gone, we're gone. We're in either in heaven or hell. And so the smart guy sends what he wants for riches ahead of him to heaven by doing God's will. To give God the building materials. And Paul comes along and says, but you can't even do that apart from him. That, we are so dependent on God. We forget how dependent we are on God. We are totally dependent on God. And that's why we cast our crowns at his feet in the end. Because when he gives us a reward for what he did in us, we realize he did it in us. We don't deserve this. Here, you keep it. Because only you deserve it. And we will all give him all the glory that belongs only to him. And he will give it all to the Father. What can you do about all this? Well, as people with the message of Christ written on our hearts... We need to make sure people can read it. We need to make sure when people read our heart, they see Jesus.
So, you think about that and apply that the way you need to. And then secondly, make sure you have humility. Because your sufficiency is only in Christ. You can't be proud and trust Christ at the same time. The only way you can do anything is by the power of Christ in your life. So, make sure you got some humility about you. And thirdly, walk in the Holy Spirit. For only in Him do you have life. I've had several people in the past months or so that have been coming to me and asking me, how do I walk with God, or how do I do this, or how do I do that? And I am thrilled. God is moving in people's lives and hearts. And maybe God's moving in your heart. Maybe you've never talked to me, and that's fine. You don't need to talk to me. But, but I hope God is moving in your life. I hope God is making you more conscious and more aware of, of, of what you need to be his servant, to be his, the one who follows him. Paul goes on to say a lot more in this chapter. And he talks about how we are to live our lives for Christ. And, and we'll be getting into that next week. But for today, this introduction, we need to realize that Jesus has written his letter on your life if you are a believer in him. And if you're not a believer, he wants to do that. And then you need to live so people can see that.